We are pretty excited, or at least I get excited. We're going to be starting a new uh, book of the Bible. I don't know how long we'll be in the Gospel of Mark, but we'll do it in three different segments, and we'll talk about that this morning. Um, I'd encourage you, if you're new, fill out a Connect card. You can also drop that in our brown box. If you have any prayer requests, we'd love to pray over you and uh, pray for you. And so please drop those off back there as well. Um, I was uh, thinking about and looking at uh, going over, kind of getting ready for this sermon and some overall themes of it. And it made me think of uh, the road trips we used to take way too often from College Station, Texas, up to here. Uh, depending on who drove and how much and what time of day, it's about anywhere from 16 to 18 hours in a car with four kids. And so uh, we'd take that trip, and you've got to pick a stopping point. Uh, and it's different each way where you want to stop for the night. And especially in the summers, we had to pick a place with a pool. One, because the kids needed exercise to get it out. We wanted them to sleep well, but also because it was hot. Now, in Texas, most of the pools are not heated, right? They just put water in them, and then depending on the time of year, it can be kind of lukewarm or it can be cool. I can remember getting out, and it was the early spring, and so we thought we'd go into this pool, and I put my toe in, and it was freezing water. And I don't know what style uh, you take with getting into pools, but a couple of my kids are the ones that just run and jump in. They get it over with. My brother's like that. Me, I'm the painful one step at a time try and get used to it and edge your way in but the truth of the matter is probably it's better when you're trying to get in a cold pool to just go all in um, it's just a get it over with now, I think the same is true of uh, missions opportunities when you're overseas uh, you get to try some different foods I've had put in front of me and you can either try it a little bite at a time or you can just go all in and just eat it and say the missionary prayer, which is, Lord, I'll get it down if you'll keep it down. That way you don't offend the people. Um, so I don't know what kind of person you are, whether you're an all-in kind of person or you kind of like to edge your way down. Um, and I think, you know, when we think of that term all-in, some of you might be thinking of the world poker tour, right? They take all those chips and shove them in the middle of the table for that now very popular game of uh, Texas Hold'em. Uh, I'm going all in. They think their cards are just right. See, there's a problem, in a, and I've only really played that online, and it's pretty easy when you're playing uh, or on your phone this little game. Uh, it's pretty easy to go all in because <laughs> really it's just make-believe money or chips or whatever. Uh, and yet there's a difference, though, if you have real money at stake or something's really at stake. If there's something uh, of a higher cost, I think it's a little harder to make that decision to go all in. I think that's the way it is often in our lives. As Christians, we can uh, think that we're playing with house money and we're comfortable and we've really taken no risk to follow Jesus. So when we talk about what it looks like to go all in to follow Jesus, it's really, well, we're comfortable. The cost isn't as high, and we've got to be honest, the cost of following Jesus isn't as high in our country as it is in other places around the world or as it was in other points in time in history. I believe the cost of following Jesus is rising within our culture uh, if you're going to live it out, and it's going to be even more challenging for generations to come. I believe that's the trend we're going in, but within that, uh, are, are we willing to take that risk and go all in or 
are we comfortable with where we're at? And so what does it look like to go in all in for Jesus? That's a pretty fair question. And I think it's one we, we can all struggle with and we can compare ourselves with other people and say, well, I can't do what they do. <laughs> it's like that song we just sang, if you can't preach like Paul or Peter. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know how they preached, but I think we all feel inadequate comparing ourselves to them and the ministry we see they had in history. Uh, we can look and get in that trap of comparing ourselves with other people and feel we don't have a place in God's kingdom or misunderstand what it means to go all in for Christ. And so, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see pictures of what it's like to follow Jesus. But we're also going to see today, in our starting today, we're going to talk about this guy, John Mark. Who is he? And how did he come to write the Gospel? I was telling Dan, I was like, some of my favorite messages are digging in and letting you all know the background or the introduction, the overview of this book and who wrote it. Because in their stories... I think we can find encouragement and a common connection with them. And it can be something that can really inspire us to realize God can use us. Each one of us is usable and useful to the Lord. And so as we walk into this, this is uh, a gospel. And within that, I think as Mark was even beginning to write this gospel, I believe we're going to see today that he was struggling with this concept of what does it look like to follow Christ? In fact, everybody in that first century was trying to figure it out, coming from the Jewish background. What does it look like to follow Jesus versus the old covenant of going to the temple, doing the sacrifices, following the teaching of the Pharisees? What does this new world look like with followers of Jesus Christ? And so we know that uh, the gospel of Mark is a gospel, and the gospel means good news good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. And in fact, Mark's gospel is probably the first one written. And uh, the neat thing about that is he began a whole new genre of literature. A gospel is its own unique piece of literature about the life of Christ. And we have four of them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you may know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic gospels, or they align. A lot of their stories are the same. They follow this progression. And then the Gospel of John has a unique perspective and content that the others don't have to give us an even wider view of Jesus' life. Uh, you may hear uh, some gospel critics come out and they'll say, well, these stories don't align, so the gospels are inaccurate. I'll tell you, and we'll point out different times throughout the book, the differences, but yesterday there were several football games that went on. You can open up a newspaper and read down in Texas A&M about how they blew it in the last two minutes and gave up the lead, or uh, to pick on Texas. Oh, we won't go there, okay. Um, don't want to pick on him too much today, but uh, it depends on who you read. If you read the hometown, they're going to talk about the certain way that the Broncos struggled. You read the other town, and they'll write about it. It's the same game, but different perspectives. If you have somebody who doesn't care about either team, they're going to just write about the facts of the game or the event. And we read the same articles about news stories all the time that come from different perspectives. And that's what God has done in allowing us different authors with different personalities to unveil the gospel and who Christ is. And so we're, we're going to have fun walking through this. And where do we first encounter 
this guy, John Mark, in the Bible. Well, we first encounter him here in Acts 13, 13. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were commissioned uh, just a little bit earlier by their church in Antioch to go out and to plant churches. And they had some companions who were going to go with them along the trip. And early on along the way, it says, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We're going to see that in several areas, he's either called John or he'll say John, who's called Mark, or Mark, who's called John. Um, And that's referring to the author of this gospel. And so we first hear of him whenever he leaves uh, Paul and his companions and goes back to Jerusalem. Pretty important point in his life. But then later on, it says this. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Um, Some translations say deserted them, which is a little stronger word, um, leaving them out all alone. And so there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose to take Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers the grace of the Lord, and he went through strengthening the churches. The first thing we can get from that is that it's okay. Believers and followers of Christ have disagreements. <laughs> Doing following Christ can get messy. And uh, they had a sharp disagreement about Mark. Now, we don't know the details of why Mark bailed out on this journey. Now, we can try and surmise some things and try and figure it out. I mean, maybe he was, this is just Pastor Kevin's wondering as I study this and think and pray about it. I wonder, did he compare himself to them and say, maybe I just don't have a place here. I can't keep up with them. Maybe he missed his family or maybe he just finally got out on the road and it wasn't what he expected. Some of the resistance that went against them. Uh, Maybe it was some of the people who came out, some of the leaders. Maybe he had some fear in his heart. We don't know. We do know that Paul felt he deserted them. He left them. He wasn't fully committed. He wasn't all in. And Paul understood his mission. He's like, I can't have guys that are going to go halfway because this is intense. And some of those cities were going to be persecuted. Um, I just can't trust him. Maybe Barnabas, being the son of encouragement, the same guy who came along, Paul, when people doubted Paul, the same guy who came along and said, no, 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 to the other disciples. He said, no, 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 I've been with him. I vouch for him. I'm I'm ministering with him. We can trust him. He's not going to switch and kill us. Um, Maybe Barnabas took that same heart towards John Mark and said, no, no, I I see there's hope in him. Let's give him a second chance. I see he's grown. And so... During this time, it's interesting that um, we have this picture of him and we wonder uh, what happened with him. But Mark, like many of us, maybe was struggling to find his place in the kingdom. Have you ever struggled or or wondered, where do I fit? (laughs) Where does God have me fit? Oh, they seem comfortable there. Or or, my life's too busy right now. Or I don't have the same gifts as other people. It's hard sometimes to find your place in the kingdom and to wonder what your value or worth is to the work of God. 
And sometimes we can be guilty as church leaders or as fellow believers at looking at somebody and, and underestimating what God can do with them. And I think Paul perhaps did that here. Um, and we don't know who is right or wrong. We just know how the Lord ended up using this. And so uh, Mark, like many of us, struggled to find his place in the kingdom. And yet, as we walk through this, we begin to see that John Mark was, uh, first off, he was not one of the 12 disciples. So he hadn't walked with Jesus, but he was perhaps one of the 70 who was sent out. We know he was close to the action. Um, but we also begin to find out some new things about him. Uh, first off, he's normal. We know that. Just an ordinary guy. I don't know what his occupation was. Uh, but as we'll see, he had to be fairly educated to write a gospel and to write it down and record it. Um, but he also is a, a common person like you and I. That, that's the beauty of these disciples who follow Christ. They were common people, ordinary people, called to follow an extraordinary Savior. And when you do that, he takes the gifts and the Holy Spirit comes in you and makes you into something you never were before. We are new in Christ. And he gives you gifts to use for the building up of each other and the reaching to people who don't know the Lord. And sometimes I think we look at these original disciples or even authors of the gospel and we make them into these heroes and put them on these pedestals and don't realize that, yeah, they, they had disagreements. <laughs> they didn't always get along. They had self-doubt. And even this gospel writer stepped away from a missionary journey and went back home, presumably home, to Jerusalem. And so as we look at this, we begin to see this, this shift and uh, the shift occurs, and we begin to see that there's a change in an attitude later on in the scriptures towards Mark. And so to tie up his story before we look over all the gospel, we see that it says this. Luke later on writes, or Mark, sorry, Paul later on writes in one of his letters, he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you, for he is useful for ministry. So at some point within those uh, span of somewhere between two to five years, he began to see that after spending time with Barnabas, Mark was useful. That's a pretty good change in his perspective, isn't it, from Paul? Um, we also read this. Peter writes this. He says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. That term, my son, is a term of endearment. It, it, it makes a lot of us think that Peter got to know John Mark when he went back to Jerusalem. He's a spiritual son to him, perhaps a mentor. And many of the, the stories Mark writes about in this gospel may have been sourced from talking with Peter and getting details from Peter as the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write. And you can even see some of Peter's personality come through in the style of the gospel of Mark. But it's interesting to me to see how the view of Mark changed. Um, and to see how Mark had come around to not only being known, but um, being useful to these men. And as we look at that, there are several other passages where he's mentioned in. But it reminds us that sometimes we don't always see the value in somebody. We don't see the finished work. Isn't that amazing that Christ looks at us and he sees our value and our worth? 
and he works us towards that when we follow him. And yet, I often, I, I mean, time after time, I, I get amazed by the Lord and just seeing how he takes people's stories and uses them over time. We got to hear that in a testimony last week as Amy shared. And even as we grow up in Christ and mature, gifts that we didn't know we had will come out as we begin to mature and grow and even try and serve in new ways. And so I love this indirect picture of love and this community relationship. I love how Paul moved to seeing Mark as necessary and useful. And that's the gospel on display. That's a picture of the gospel at work both in, in Mark, in Paul, in Peter, in Barnabas, is that it molds us around. And as we take time and we're patient with one another in the Lord, a lot of these issues get worked out. And unity is found around the gospel. None of us are finished. We are all works in progress. So I, I, I love this saying, I'm not always what I want to be. I'm not always who I should be, but thank Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. Husband, say that. You can say it to your wives. Okay. I'm not always what I want to be, not always who I should be, but thank Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. He changes our lives. He is at work in us. And in the midst of the journey, Mark was led by the Holy Spirit while he was back there to write the Gospel of Mark. You know, if he had stayed on that journey, it was so intense. Would he have had time to write down? Would he have had time, perhaps, to spend with Peter? The Lord had another purpose. No one could see it the moment he deserted, but the Lord had another purpose for John Mark. And he brought him into a place where he recorded what we believe is the first gospel recorded. And beginning sections of it were beginning to be circulated by about 50 A.D., and so it's amazing that uh, we begin to see this. And as we look into the Gospel of Mark, we see that the Gospel of Mark is quite a different book than uh, Luke or even Matthew. As we'll see next week, he doesn't start at the cradle. He doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He starts with the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus arriving on the scene as an adult. And as he goes throughout it, uh, you're going to notice the pace of Mark and, and how he takes things. And I call him, uh, the, we used to call him an article writer, but now we call him a blogger. Because everything's immediately, he does these sections of stories as if he's blogging and posting it as he's following along Christ's life. And so uh, you'll love the fast pace of it, the jump from one story to the next, but you're going to see what might see, seem as a disjointed picture of Jesus's life that actually he's arranged things in this order to unveil who Christ is to us and he shows us different incidents and stories and takes it from his point of view to unveil to us who Jesus Christ is and so as he does that um, he begins to write that and as he writes that it's important to note that the reason it was written it, it was written because not because they knew they needed to add to the Old Testament, but because they lived and saw this man Jesus die on a cross. This man Jesus came back and rose from the dead. These disciples went from in hiding to out risking their lives. And they couldn't help but write it down. Because Jesus is alive. That's why the Gospels 
came to be because Jesus is alive. And in fact, the people of the first century came to follow Jesus Christ because of the testimony that he is alive. He died and rose again. They didn't have the blessing we have of all the Gospels in full form and the letters of Paul all testifying and showing that this moment in history happened. They had people who saw Jesus die and saw him rose again and who were proclaiming him, whose lives were being changed before their very eyes in an amazing way. And not just these disciples. but I, I, There's a book I love to read. It's um, by Larry Osborne and... Um, uh, he called it 10, well, the old title was 10 Dumb Things Christians Believe, and then he softened it a little. But um, what he would say is this. He'd say, we often compare ourselves to the disciples, but what we don't realize is that each town that Paul went and preached in and that the gospel was declared in, the people who came forward when Peter preached, amongst those were husbands who came to the Lord, and their big step of faith was not stopping off at the brothel on the way home. Or maybe there was a cobbler in the city of Corinth, and he started to run his business with integrity because he was now a follower of Christ. And so the way people are converted and ordinary people begin to follow Jesus is different. And there's so many people not recorded in the scriptures who made up that early church, whose lives were changed. And they weren't up there on the stage preaching or writing a gospel, but they were changing and impacting their homes, their neighbors, their families, treating their wife with dignity instead of treating her as property, as many did in that culture. And so as we walk through that and we begin to see this, we have a, a picture here of what you'll see. It's our artwork, but it's really of the three kind of themes that flow through Mark that I've tracked. Um, the first is following Jesus as that footsteps going. That's the actual sign from the incline. But uh, it's getting on that path and deciding I'm going to take one step after another. And what does it look like to follow Jesus? We're going to see what he calls people to do. And you'll be amazed at the word immediately. It's just immediately they followed him. Well, whoa. Hold on. They were just fishing and they stopped and followed Christ. It's amazing to see what that invitation from Christ does to our lives. It changes our direction. We're going to look at that um, between now and, and our Christmas services. And then down here we have two crowns. One of the most uh, amazing things that Mark points out is what we call the upside-down kingdom. <laughs> it's that Jesus came, and the people wanted him to be a king, to rule, to take over, to fight against Rome, to reestablish the palace, to have military might. But Jesus came as a servant king. And then we'll look at the impact of the cross and the resurrection and the journey to the cross in our last segment. All of it combines to show us what it looks like to have a life that is fully committed to Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bible, I want to highlight two passages today. Um, before we, I, I would say these are two sections that kind of give you an overall picture of Mark. The first is Mark 10, 45. In Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 45, I think is a great summary of this gospel. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Imagine Jesus Christ sitting at the throne, came down, 
became a baby. And uh, I mean, I was reminded this week we have uh, our new nephew born two weeks ago, a little tiny guy, and he's got uh, even has a cast on a foot to help um, get him grow correctly. And there's the tiny baby holding it. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. They're so fragile, and you're like, well, I don't want to disturb him. Jesus was a baby at one point and came amongst us, gave up being surrounded by the angels on the throne, his authority, his power, his might. And then he walks through this life, loving people, serving people. He's exhausted. Sometimes he doesn't even get to eat, we're going to see in the coming weeks, because they're crowding out the house he's trying to rest in. He can't, even, he can't get anywhere where they don't come to him. They're so excited. But everybody's wanting things from him, but he came to serve. And as time winds down, we'll see he encourages his disciples. It's like, listen, I came not to be served, but to serve. Allow me to wash your feet. Allow me to get up and go and die on the cross for you. Jesus serves us. Our natural response should be to serve him. Do we serve the world we're in, our neighbors? Do we have that perspective of a servant because we're followers of Christ? Do people look at us and say, you serve first. You care about others first. It's a very challenging picture that Mark gives us and will continually be brought before us when we see the character, not only of Jesus, but next week, we'll see this in the very character of John the Baptist, who is to announce his coming. He also took a position of humble servitude. Our next passage is, uh, if you turn a couple pages here, um, uh, Jesus went in conversations, and at this point, they'd already, they were already desiring to kill him. And he'd been asked questions over and over. You're going to see questions coming at Jesus throughout this book. And each question unveils to us a different piece of his ministry. Well, in this section, it says this. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, um, he said this, which commandment is most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important of all is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There's nothing better than going all in. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Can you imagine that saying to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, you're right. You got the answer right. I don't think he knew who he was talking to. You have truly said that he is one and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors, oneself, it's much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's a pretty amazing statement at that point in time, <laughs> saying, yeah, that's more important than anything we do religiously. Our heart has to be in it. And when Jesus saw that, he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But Jesus died not for us to come here on a Sunday morning, not for us to be labeled as born again, not for us to be called Christians. He died 
so we could be in a relationship with him. And there's so many of us that are standing on the edge of that pool, and we're like, okay, Lord, I'll trust you in this area. Get one foot in the pool, uh, and then slowly get another foot in. And he's saying, no, listen, you can trust me with everything. And my everything looks different than your everything. It starts with our hearts, but when we give our heart to the Lord and he begins to direct your life, it will look different for each of us. Looks different for, for those who are up here leading worship. Looks different for wherever you're at work. But it it's, starts with our heart. Everything else flows from that is worship. That's why he said it's more than the sacrifice and the offerings. And so... God has placed you in a specific place with unique gifts at a unique time period with a unique role you have for his kingdom. And yet, above all of that, this reminds us he wants and desires our affection. Uh, David Platt, an author and pastor, says this, Following Jesus involves not only intellectual trust in him, which is vital, but also emotional desire for him. We have seen that it is impossible to say, uh, separate true faith in Christ from profound feelings for Christ. When it says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it means love the Lord. And our society is so damaged, that word love, <laughs> that and, and I think for men, sometimes we even get it more wrong because we don't understand what love is. We connect it too much to romance to be able to say that we truly love Jesus Christ. We, we feel love for Jesus Christ because he made us with both intellect and emotions and choices and actions to make. When all of those align, God begins to transform us and change us. I love this poem that's been shared by many pastors. Um, but it says this. It says, they on the, and it's supposed to be read with a Scottish accent, but I can't do it. So, uh, But they on the heights are not the souls who never erred or went astray or reached those high rewarding goals along a smooth flower-bordered way. Nay, they who stand where first comes dawn are those who stumbled but went on. That is the picture of Mark's life. He stumbled but went on. God had something different for him. Paul and Barnabas stumbled in their relationship, but they went on and they kept following the Lord and striving after him and trying to understand what his will is. And God used that. Each and every one of us is going to stumble along the way. A lot of times we don't feel it. Times where we intellectual or intellectually are trying to study and understand more about who God is. If you keep pushing into that, keep calling out to the Lord, keep following him, desiring more of him, asking him to challenge you and just say, Lord, show me in my life where I need to hand control over to you. Then you'll be amazed at the adventure he takes you on. Now, this morning we got to do this miracle we do in America. It's quite great, right? We created more time today, right? We moved our clocks back, right? Yeah. So I was thinking, really logically, couldn't we just say we take one day a year where time stops and then the next day we'll just pick up our calendars again? 
Does that add any time? Did we really add any time to our lives today? In, in the spring, are we really going to take away an hour from our lives? No. It's just something we choose to do. We cannot change the time that we have on this earth. But we can change how we use that time. We can change how much time we spend with the Lord. We can change how much time we spend praying for those who are lost and looking to love on our neighbors in tangible ways. And as we follow Jesus, we're going to stumble and fall, but those who get up and keep following discover you've got a unique role in building God's kingdom, and that unique role is never small. It is never small. There are people who are just homebound, who are just praying for, have been praying for incline. There, there are people who go and they visit in nursing homes and they'll never get the accolades, but they minister to those whose families are gone or they're all alone. There's so many unseen things. Even those who set up in the morning are helping to reach others. There are many things you do in your normal course of life that if you turn them and focus them towards Christ, they're not small things. Encouraging someone, teaching a student, uh, sitting next to a classmate who doesn't have anyone next to them in the cafeteria. And then when somebody asks you, why do you do that? And you say, because I love Jesus. You may not see it right there, but later on they may say, you know, there's the first time I thought of Jesus was when somebody actually came up and sat next to me. And somebody noticed I needed prayer. And I didn't even believe in prayer, but the fact they wanted to pray made a difference in my life. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for the example of John Mark. This man who lived many, many years ago, and yet he was all fired up to go on a missions trip. Didn't even know what was that all about, and he bailed out on it for some reason, Lord, and yet... In that, you took him and you moved him to where you wanted him to be, to write this gospel, to tell us your story of your son, to give us a glimpse of how Jesus interacted with people and how he served, even though he's the mightiest man, the most perfect man to ever walk the earth, the most powerful man to ever be known. He's also fully God, worthy of our worship, and yet he bowed down to wash his disciples' feet and willingly went to an undeserved death as an innocent person and shed his blood as a payment for our sins. And this morning, Lord, if any of us haven't come to that line of faith, we haven't even stepped in the water, and we're just on the edge saying, I don't know if Jesus is real. I don't even know if, if, if Jesus is worth following. I, I just, I don't know. And it's okay not to know. I pray that you'd open up our eyes, help them to see, step across that line of faith and see that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died. So that all we have to do is repent of our sins and believe in him to receive everlasting life. And the great news is that we don't just have everlasting life, we have a new life to live and a mission to make disciples and the Holy Spirit in us to transform us day by day. What a great example, Lord, that you gave us in John Mark. A man transformed, and the whole body began to see, wow, look at what God's done in him. He is useful. He is my son. And he inspired him to write a gospel that has impacted people for thousands of years. 
through the power of your Holy Spirit in your word. Lord, as we journey through this book, help us to figure out what it looks like for each of us to go all in, to not hold back for you, and to fall more in love with you and to know more about you and understand more of the gospel and more of your teachings. Thank you, Jesus, for the gifts you've given us of your story and your life that happened in real history with real ordinary people just like us trying to figure out how to connect with the real creator of the universe. In Jesus' name, amen.